Brothers and sisters, uh, on the Wake Up Radio, this is the appeal. I am Oz Bryan. So we got Sister Cindy Ashby, uh, our producer, our engineer, the hardest working woman in showbiz. We got another great show lined up for you today. Um, it's uh, June twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. We're going to be exploring a few issues. Uh, as always, <laughs> got a little tongue tied there. Forgive me. Forgive me, African. Um, We always function in the spirit of Sankofa here on The Appeal, right? We always look back in order to look forward. Uh, First, before I I do that, we should give a uh, um, moment of silence for those who lost their lives in that horrible um, uh, collapse, building collapse out there in Miami. You're right. I mean, yeah. I mean, Cindy, Cindy, you're right. They're not building things with integrity anymore. (laughs) <laughs> well, Rob, how you doing, brother? Uh, none the worse for wear. Pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a, 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 a election season is over. It's been a, <laughs> been a roller coaster ride. Um, the city will never be the same. <laughs> uh, the results are in. Oh well, you know, well, we're, they're we're in, but they're still being counted. Some some are, some are decided, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in a few particular races. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, specifically, Queensborough president, <laughs> uh, which right now is the difference of two thousand votes, and going to the second round, that with uh, uh, Donovan holding a slight lead over Elizabeth Crowley, and uh, with with. Range choice voting, they're probably going to eliminate Van Bramer, who came in at 17%. But who do you think those second place votes are going to go to? <laughs> and, and if you, if that that person, the majority of that per, that those second place votes go to Elizabeth Crowley, she has a hell of a shot uh, to unseat Donovan. Um, makes me see <laughs> as the world turns. And uh, we have a, a Erica Adams with a much more comfortable lead in mayor at the mayor's race, but still close. It's still going to be interesting to see the impact of ranked choice voting on the mayoral side as well. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, a few things. Again, we look back in, in history. We're going to be looking at the uh, Somerset v. Stewart case. Uh, and that happened back in 1772. There's, it's, oh. uh, there's a... Rob? Oh, there you go. Sorry. Uh, Technical difficulties. I thought some people came and got you. (laughs) 
<laughs> when they come and get you. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Somerset versus V. Stewart, which is a case that happened in the U.K. back in 1772. But it, it, I, thought, I thought it was very central when you think of the idea of Pan-Africanism. And why, and why in, my, in my estimation, it, it, it's very central. Also, this week, we, we celebrate the anniversary or something of that nature. <laughs> Charles, Charles Rangel uh, essentially ended the political career of Adam Clayton Powell in 1970 this week. We also had the, this week was the week they found the bodies or, of Cheney, Goodman, and, and Schwarmer. Right, this is the week they went missing and, and they were found murdered right, during the Freedom Summer right, in, in Mississippi, Philadelphia, Mississippi. Oh. <laughs> a dangerous place to be. <laughs> and um, this week also commemorates the anniversary of W.B. Du Bois leaving the NAACP. Right? Um, yeah. In 1934, oh. this is when you start to see him uh, kind of turn away from integrationism. <laughs> he kind of gives up on it. Right, he, he he starts his tilt towards nationalism. Right, he ends up dying. The in man Africa. was frustrated. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll save it until we get there. Yeah, and he and he talks about being frustrated in the speech that he gave. He lays Negro out Negro. his reasons. It wasn't like he was just like, "Oh, I'm tired of giving speeches." Oh no, um, no, no, no. He, he, he was a very insightful man. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't just like he just threw his hands up and oh, forget this. And just to to show that this is not a. A new concept. Uh, Prince Hall yeah. <laughs> makes a similar argument in seventeen ninety seven. So Prince Hall, uh, famously for creating, you know, the, the black Masonic lodges are called Prince Hall lodges. Uh, he gave a speech in seventeen ninety seven. You know, uh, addressing similar topics. Right? Yes. Again, he's in the middle of slavery, so it's a little, it's a little change. But yeah, the problems are the thing. And. Um, before we get started, I say uh, rest in peace. Today we, this week we lost Dr. Betty Shabazz. We lost Maynard Jackson. I'm going to start with Maynard Jackson. Okay. Now, uh, if you know anything about Maynard Jackson, he, he's a he's a good political study if you're interested in 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 in, uh, in political theory. Yeah, yeah. He's the first black mayor of of Atlanta, to say the least. But let's look at this. Uh, so Maynard Jackson comes on the scene. He tries to run for U.S. Senate, right, of Georgia, right? <laughs> right? Uh, he loses, but he does so well in this one little Fulton County that the following year he decides to run for mayor. So this is what you see when you see Jumani Williams here in New York State, run for lieutenant governor of the entire state, come up short, but then puts himself in perfect position to run for um, to run for uh, public advocate. Mm -hmm. You know, just in New York City. So there, there, there's uh, I got a couple of examples. Somebody else, who am I forgetting? Uh, ran for a large. So then that's kind of what uh, Andrew Yang. <clears throat> We see it all the Andrew time with has, presidential campaigns, you know. Even if they if the also rams will end up being a governor somewhere, you know. Yeah, and that's what Andrew Yang was trying to do, right? Uh -huh. So well, uh, he, he started with the presidential uh, campaign, and he, he's still he's a candidate looking for a, a serious constituency. 
he's got the Yang gang behind him, but like in this race, he fell apart because he didn't stick to his guns. He, he actually committed the same mistake that Bernie did. You know, you can't spend X amount of years railing against the system and then just when you get close to the finish line or if you're close to an election, you decide to hire people who work for the system. They literally are the system. If you looked at their business card, you'd say the man working for the system <laughs> on it. I'm you know, <laughs> they don't even hide it. That's what kills me. It's like, what are you doing? You know, I don't understand these people. It's the difference between knowing your enemy and hiring your enemy. <laughs> and that's what these both campaigns managed to do. And then they want to turn around and go, I wonder how we lost. You have a saboteur on your payroll. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Maynard Jackson came under uh, Andrew Young. All right. So, um, you know, kind of mentored by Andrew Young there in Atlanta. And one of the big projects uh, that that Maynard Jackson worked on was the Atlanta airport. Right, uh, that's the one of the biggest in the country. Development. One of our, it's like a huge hub. And he wanted to make sure that blacks got contracts, mm-hmm. right? So much so, and I guess he was successful enough that they recently renamed the airport after him. That's pretty successful. That's called, <laughs> right? They they added his name to the to the to the name of the airport. There you go. And uh, again, this is this is just accountability. This is not shade. So we fast forward to our local election, and we have in twenty third in the twenty seventh city council district, we have Sister uh, Natasha Williams. Uh, in thirty one, we had Sister Sylvina Brooks. Uh, both did what? Worked for the JFK redevelopment, right? And who was tasked with making sure that. Uh, the black community got a sheer $13 billion in, in redevelopment dollars. Yeah. How many, how many people, black people got contracts? Do you think, Rob? I would, we're going to need some foyers and some time to find that one out, but I wouldn't, uh, considering how the construction went, you know, and the, what we've seen of the end result, I'm going to guess that really wasn't an objective. I don't, I don't really don't think no, that, 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 was that, that, that was their job. They, they put it that their job. That may be their job. They, they okay. Our elected reps say a lot of things, but what do they do? Cool. You know, so I'm gonna tell you, proof is in the pudding. Two? Two. two. Damn, two. that's wow. I expected at least double digits, man. Jesus. Oh, no, two. Uh, one's name is Runzy, the other's name is Duncan. How do you get corruption projects? wrong? What are you doing? How many, how many projects? If two people came away with contracts like that, uh, all right, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that they were like dispersed, like you know, major jobs. So like, no, I don't one know, project, a couple of hundred. Oh my god! <laughs> what were they doing? Doing together on one project. Uh, the project carts. Both restaurant tours. Uh, uh, Brother Runzi and his wife own Panache in Rosedale. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Duncan owns the supermarket Rock and Jamaica Breeze, which has a location on Merrick and one on Mott Avenue in Rockaway. They came together. They now have a restaurant in JFK, and that is it for the Blacks. And don't you have to rent those spaces on in an airport? 
uh, again, I'm not sure. No, I'm not going to. I don't get into detail. Okay. I just want to know: Did we benefit? Either way, I mean, no. We so, ignore all the construction problem or burden because you know the air tram. That's where it goes, right here in Southeast Queens. So we didn't get anything out of it, <clears throat> except for a restaurant. This man, Patrick, called Lena Brooks, are now are are, are more than likely going to be our city council representation in oh, Southeast Queens. What does so, that bode? <laughs> How does that bode for three restaurants, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. We we do need jobs here in Southeast Queens. That that'll help <laughs> somebody. I mean, you're, you're tasked with a job of bringing resources. And, you know, you come up short on that. And now but who's going to do anything? See, that's the problem. Cause, because they, our elections are basically closed competitions, they don't care. Uh, you say what you will. You know, I'm sure our audience, we've got people of all stripes, you know, libertarians, communists, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, the United States is supposed to be about competition. No matter what, if you need a good system, you know, you need to have some kind of evolutionary competition. And that's what they're lacking. So their version of capitalism right now has devolved to cronyism. So they don't have to actually deliver on anything. Because who's going to challenge them? Except for another member of their stupid little country club. And that's not going to be a real challenge. Because they've already decided ahead of time, well, you're this one's assistant. So I guess you're going to get X position when it opens up. And then we'll put on a little show campaign, maybe. You know, that, that's what it's, it's theater. So, you know, forgive me for not, I don't know if the listeners have picked up on it or not, but there was a distinct shift in even my goals and where I would even put my energy. You know, electoral politics is great, but that's the tip of the spear. You know, whatever. As, um, as I think it's Sticky Fingers and Onyx Song says, but 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 wait, it gets worse. Yeah, <laughs> great. Now I'm a thirst. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. No, you didn't see that one coming. Oh man, I was on a call this morning, all morning, nine to twelve. And um, Rob, you you live in Southeast Queens. Sorry, we're just getting hyper local. We're gonna expand it. Just bear with us. This is, this, is, this is where I come to bed. Well, these sicknesses are evident in our area because we live in a one dominated by one party. You have single party rule. Well, these areas are dominated by one party, right? There's very few. Uh, not these, few. Most areas are, are very few. But the problems areas. that we face are the result of this. So you could, you could translate these problems into not just national problems, and as a root, you can see how they become national problems. But you can replicate these problems everywhere. I'm sure if you went to a red district somewhere in Bumfa, Egypt, Pennsylvania, and you listen to what they truly were complaining about, it's going to be the same things. But it may Agreed. just be a, a Republican district. and That's why I've said numerous times before, these two quote-unquote parties need each other at this point to survive. They're playing this game, but it's like the Globetrotters and the you know, Washington Generals. You know, you know, you know. It's also, I mean, you know, this is off topic, but you know, that's what makes what happened in Georgia kind of remarkable, right? Or, Georgia, right. <laughs> they almost turned Georgia blue if it wasn't for the Republican governor. Georgia has become a purple state, so that that does 
but that shows you how inept they are. The GOP's whole deal is supposed to be, you know, working for working class Republicans or conservatives. They've been hollowed out over the last 12 years so bad since the end of the Bush era. The Bush era really just killed the GOP. When you, I've said it before, again, I keep repeating myself, but if you have John Boehner literally resign in freaking tears with a goal of going to get drunk as his retirement, you know what that Freedom Caucus did to his power in that chamber. They came in and they showed people had Occupy Wall Street had the literal backbone and or balls to do half of what the Freedom Caucus did, we would live in a different country right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, again, I just I just wanted to use, use that segue to kind of draw the comparison between Maynard Jackson actually advocating for the development of an airport and showing how the advocation for development of the airport and making sure blacks are contracts here in New York about um, a couple of decades later uh, doesn't quite look the same. It doesn't have the same impact or results. But, I mean, again, that's why you look at history. So it's not like, oh, we can't find a way to get black contracts for major development of airports. I mean, it's super specific. Because we've seen it done. Yeah. That's all. We've seen it done. We've seen it not only done, but we've seen it done in earlier eras under way harsher forms of literal segregation. (laughs) So I don't want to hear it when our representatives, uh, well, we just, there's nothing more we could do. Those dastardly Republicans, man. You want to see, that's (laughs) not even a Republican. That's not even real opposition you're facing at this point. You're talking about, man, they both take money from the same sponsor. So what could I do? I couldn't fight him. I'm going to go to the bar with him later. That's what we're dealing with. And then that translates yeah. to real people not having the funds and the resources they need to freaking survive. But that's okay so, because those people who can't survive will go out and commit some kind of crime, most likely, in their over-policed areas, and then we can lock them up. And then my donors who run the private prisons, well, you know, they used to be able to pay me out. We, so the, to, our, to our benefit, we've actually done away with some of that private prison merry-go-round money. So... There's been some improvement. <laughs> that's 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 is that how we measure an improvement now. Hey Amen. So Nick Miller. So Nick Miller. My uh, I've seen, seen it all. Um, so we're fighting to for a waste transfer stations. So we, you know, if you know anything about waste transfer stations and and and, and black communities, right, you'll probably find them there, right? So you, you shouldn't smell waste transfer. You shouldn't smell garbage. You shouldn't walk down the block and smell garbage. And um, there's a waste transfer station uh, run by Royals and Regal, I think American, are the three facilities there. And you smell garbage walking down Liberty. I mean, I'm not sure the last time you were over there, Rock, but as you walk down Liberty Ave, right across the street from a park, and, you know, uh, pretty much adjacent to people's homes, people's backyards are to this facility. So we're not talking about an industrial park. Environmental justice has always been linked with economic justice and they're all the same and I hate yeah. even doing that this type of justice that type of justice it's quality of life yeah. you know that these are all the same thing that that's how people end up milking the system to be a freaking executive instead of an advocate I'm a this type <laughs> of justice advocate no you're not you sit there and you write letters about bullshit shut up exactly it's become a career because you're this type of justice no no this that's the problem you know that I'm 
I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure if MLK put out a call, you know, again for like the massive marches and stuff for the different groups. And this is why you and I butt heads when it comes to me being more focused. I need a direction and then I can put together, a, you know, a plan and work that way. Whereas if you just have all this dispersed action, hey, that's great, but you've got 10 people trying to make a career and two trying to actually solve a problem. That's the state we're in today. But and you're going to have to anyway, right? You're going to have that anyway, but look at what – it all comes back to basic principles and incentivization, incentivize, how you incentivize people. But if and, somebody don't and they've been incentivized at this point to just do the career role. True. But if you and and you've unpacked it yourself when you bring up how there's no – when you show that over time they're less and less inclined to show tangible results and bring back results like jobs and projects like that to their neighborhoods, that, that's the end-all, be-all of their job. Not to sit here and tweet, not to bitch about the opposition. Do your job. No, no, and no, that's no, what's no, been no, now, now, that's this way. So now that's why it's a good segue into, into this waste transfer station. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a big thing about waste by rail, right? Um, they want, so there's a law that says now you can't take, it, it minimizes the amount of waste and each waste transfer station can come in, that can come into a waste transfer station. So therefore you don't have to disperse them more evenly across the city. Mm-hmm. So you don't inundate any single community too much. The ink isn't even dry on the legislation and Denise Miller is seeking uh, an amendment to it to exempt royals so they can increase theirs. <laughs> he wants to increase theirs for the promise, no guarantees, uh-huh. that they can do the Waste by Rail project. No guarantees. So they're already, I mean, they're already, you know, causing asthma and all kinds of health issues. You want to exacerbate that by allowing them to increase it for four years and then at the end of four years you'll see if they got it done. Right? Now, I, use the analogy. I testified I testified this morning on that call. I use the analogy of Malcolm X, right? Malcolm X said if you don't stick a knife six feet in the mat six inches in the man's back, pull it out three and call it progress. Mm-hmm. But now what they're doing here is they're sticking it in six inches and they're sticking in another two. <laughs> right? Because yeah. you want them to now you want the folks in the community to deal with this for four more years with the hope to lose by rail and do right by you when they, they haven't been doing right by you for the past decade. And I mean, you haven't included any incentive in legislation to make them do right. They, they, they promised a couple, like, they promised about 10 jobs. Oh, no, I'm talking about the other way around. You see, it, oh. if the government were to do that, right, and it, to be effective, it'd be like, okay, we, we can understand. You may need time to meet the codes for it. There could be plenty of extenuating circumstances. Maybe Royal's the only one who competed in the area and they wanted to make sure that they were able to get some contracts because they're minority-owned or whatever. I don't know. Okay, so now you have a different goal. But now how do I make this sure that this business does what it's supposed to do? This is the same problem no, we see with oil companies. So if you just say, hey, we're going to promise to be good, great. You need to make an incentive. To, if you're not good, you're going to pay X bottom line or during that time until you do get up to whatever benchmark we're going to find you and it'll decrease the closer you get to meeting those benchmarks 
This is why a lot of vets, when we get out of the service, we can't deal with CV life because the little simple benchmarks and tasks and goals like that are like absent in most areas of CV life. So and they spent, wonder why it's a freaking zoo. They spent the majority of the call saying how they were trying to get organized <laughs> crime out of waste management, right? So therefore, we're, not, we're literally dealing with monsters. What year is this? <laughs> we're literally dealing with monsters. Okay, but what year is this? You mean to tell me that you have have ignored this? But okay, this is another one of those situations where, one, you live in a modern city. New York City has a sanitation department, right? Specifically, specifically, to so we wouldn't have to deal with this organized crime problem with waste management all over the city. This was a larger problem. Mob is still controlled through the unions. The unions are independent. They're still teamsters. So you, you can have a this isn't un- But again, I'm saying this has been a problem since before the 1900s in the same industries. So you can't even, you mean to tell me the mob isn't into waste management anywhere else? It's just he's got a lot. They got a lock on Southeast Queens. That's what's going on. Right. In a predominantly black area, too. With no white executives. I mean, I saw that. I saw their board speak. I was like, "Wow, it's a very diverse group." You <laughs> know, white male. Again, it tells me that some of these organizations there. only manage to really function even in black areas. I mean, we've got Crips, Bloods, and all types of. We've even got international groups moving into black areas, but you don't see the mob really running rampant in the cul-de-sac neighborhoods. They're nice <laughs> and quiet. What what's going on there? So we can't even get. You know, decent crime, a balance of crime <laughs> justice. You know, can we at least get that? Damn. You know, a little bit. And uh, <laughs> what's also interesting here is that the chair of the sanitation committee is now, his name is uh, Renoso. Mm-hmm. Renoso, if you pay attention, is now ahead as the new Brooklyn Borough president. So um, I think that goes well because, you know, from borough president, you might want to run for mayor one day. He might be interested in caring. So even though he's a Brooklyn guy, he might have some incentives in wanting to make sure he got some relationships if he ever does want to run for mayor, which is what Brooklyn Borough President is a springboard for. And so therefore, you might be able to um, uh, lean on him a little bit because he might want something. Right? That's what politics is about. Right? It's about yeah. exchanging something for something. And so if he want, if he has that in mind, because one person and Denise Miller is going to be gone in, in a couple months. Mm-hmm. We're talking about this in four years. It's not even his problem. He, he, he no, they do that all the time. That's why he you sunset stuff into a bill. Cut and run. So um, I thought that was interesting. But anyhow. Uh, <laughs> but again, this, uh, we need more options. It always comes down to us having less and less options and the same entrenched power. No other group would have to deal with this because no other group, well, few other groups would have so few options. Agreed, agreed. But I mean, that, that's also by design. So that's why I wanted to jump into this case, uh, Somerset v. Stewart. Uh-huh. Uh, why it's interesting is because it, it's about a, a slave who sues for his freedom in the UK in 1772. But if you really track the movements, you understand how for 400 years, our great-great-grandfathers, we don't know where they were. Right? So the case of Somerset versus Stewart is a man from Boston, Massachusetts, right? Mm. 1776. So we're talking about four years before, um, before the Civil War. 
from Boston, Massachusetts, who's taken to the UK. Right? He's about to be shipped to Jamaica when he sues for his freedom. Right? So the idea that let's say he never comes, he never loses the state, then he's just uh, somebody from Boston, right? In other words, when slavery ended, ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies, ashes to ashes, we all fall down, right? He would have been another from Boston or something, right? Mm-hmm. If, uh, if, if he was in the UK where slavery ended, he would have been a black Brit. And uh, if it wasn't for him suing <laughs> and going to Jamaica, he might have thought by eight, in about, and when I say him, I'm, I, when I say he would have thought he was, I'm connecting us to our, our ancestors, right? You are an extension of your father, an extension of your grandfather, <laughs> grandfather's father, and so on, right? We're just an extension. So that's why I say you would have thought you were. And uh, now, right, he would have thought he was Jamaican, I guess. But the idea that during the 400 years, they sh- you're just a piece of property that gets thrown all over the Atlantic, and then by the end of slavery, where you stop off, that's where you think you've been, but you don't know what happened because there's no record. <laughs> and I mean, I just thought that this case really personified, you know, this guy of the world zigzagging the world as a piece of property. And so what's really, and he doesn't even really know his name because his name ain't, his name isn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? We really don't even you know, we know his given name, mm-hmm. but we don't know his original name. It's just, he's just lost the history. I mean, we know his name is James Somerset, yeah. but that's not really his name. That's a name that, you know, is Blake Master Gable. And then you zigzag him all over the world. And then, you know, where does identity really come in? So I always thought that I, I read this case. I thought that this was really interesting, really fascinating. It's one of the things it does make organizing and the whole idea of the black diaspora a little different than other cultural groups. Because the thing that unites those other cultural groups isn't skin tone or anything like that. It's the kind of cultural underpinnings that were intentionally taken away from the people who were made into chattel slaves. That was the goal. They knew, they realized after, you know, millennia of doing this in all over the planet, they were like, okay, this, that's the key, you know? So that's why it does us damage to focus solely on that you draw we draw strength from our history like any other group we can draw strength from all the varied cultures that go into making us but at the end of the day american blacks are something unique and even more so than just like our brothers and sisters in Korea. he's not really unique because he, he could have been british he could have been Jamaican. Could have been, just, but the, that is the result of the roulette wheel of history. Few other groups have had to deal with that same circumstance. So how are you unique if it's so random? Right? I, I, I think, mean, you're, I think he, we're he, thinking of unique in different ways. It, okay. The randomness... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. The, okay, random, so. the randomness of it actually makes it that's what makes it such a strange coincidence. You're talking about a people with, instead of their shared identity being based on, oh, we celebrate this holiday, the shared, the key shared initiating event is having those things stripped away. So like you could be a Jew in Tibet or in Palestine or in South Florida, you all celebrate Purim. 
to be a black person in the United States <clears throat> versus a black person in the UK, you already have different immediate cultural underpinnings. You may still have to deal with some of the same issues of international, I would say, okay, yeah, international racism, just writ large <laughs> thanks to the way media... Well, because yeah, you have to pay attention, you have to give credence to the power of media, and we have a global media. That's why you would have someone who could be Chinese and has never actually seen a black person and they already have internalized prejudices because they got it from the media that's been designed by a system that that's how it functions. That's one of its functions. So just real life, these are some of the things that you have to deal with. Even if you're an African, Af an African laborer from a country in Africa who could be working in China due to the uh, economic relationship they have now, with all these different African countries. But as a black American, your experience working in China or even visiting a Chinese industrial area, it's going to be totally different. Your no, frame of reference uh, is totally yeah, different. Your frame of is different, but your treatment is the same. Right? But that's going when to change. And the result is going to be different based on that. That African-African, no, African, yes, that African-African from Africa is going to react differently than no. your black American to I the same situation because right. of their culture, they, their uh, life experiences and what makes them. Huh? When they killed Amadou Diallo in his foyer of his apartment. But that wasn't him reacting differently. That was the cops reacting to how they react in America. Did it matter who he was, where he was from? No, it mattered what he was. Because to <laughs> them, that's and that's going to be the same. No because he was in the American environment, but he was still an African. So his reaction, his internal reaction to the outside stimuli is going to be based on his background. Hey, what was his reaction? He was going to his apartment. I mean, well, well you would react differently? Again, you would react differently? You're, re you're reducing it to just one incident. I'm talking about how these people actually live their lives and what led up I'm to it. I'm saying how the world responds to you, how the world sees you, how the world how the reacts. It's but that wasn't under Amadou. But then Amadou's a bad example because that really wasn't under his control. That's the point. Being black is none of it's under your control. It wasn't. It wasn't under James Sunderman's control when he was taken from Boston to the UK and was about to be shipped to Jamaica. It wasn't under his control. That's the point. Okay. It's under. It was under, it's none of us control. When you come when you come across that central passage, it's none. Of, none of us are in control. That's the but, point. That's what unifies us. Yes, that. That's exactly what I said. That is the that's the if you're going to try and make a global culture in that way, then that's the only inciting incident you have to work with. And that's not enough. Because there's plenty of other black people, as we'll see, that even Du Bois was talking about that was part of his frustration. Because there's gonna be so many that are just like, Well, I don't really connect to them because they're Bajan. What? So you can't just use the fact that at some point in history, somebody came across on one of these boats. That does not resonate the same way, and that's because that's how culture works. That's let's, specifically let's that. why it was done. Huh? Uh, let's, let's jump to that then. Um, we got what, what's, what's going on, Tom? Uh, let's jump to that. So the boys, right? He he leaves. He leaves the. He gets he gets fed up with the Negroes, and he says he leaves the organization he helped found. 
Um, he helped found it with some white folks. He, he believed that, you know, working with white folks, he was an integrationist. Uh, I, I never heard him explicitly say it like that because uh, he was still very Afrocentric in his, again, um, this man is the, the Bois is the one who did the Pan-African Congress. Right. So he was he considers himself a fan African. He did do it in Paris though, but <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, I mean what you expect. But um in this in this speech he gives as he's leaving, that is a classism issue, I believe. I, I took it to interpret it he was talking about class. He was saying some yes. folks believe they've made it, so uh, you know, that's the what's he the points to it specifically. He points to it specifically in that speech. Uh, it, it does become about class, and he he names he doesn't use the exact word, but he's talking about those people who are more than willing to just go along to get along. Yeah. He points to our shared foil, you know, Washington and his ilk, talking about well, let's just go ahead and do whatever they say, and then eventually they'll be nice enough. And even Du Bois points out that like, look, the major- the vast majority of white Americans literally don't care. That's right. They don't want to be bothered. I mean, I, they've, they've got their own shit that they're dealing with, and that's a big part of how this system works. I agree. It's to make everybody so miserable that they're willing to just go, okay, enough, that's true. and not uh, want to deal with it. So the I, white Americans who you see even today talking about, well, I never enslaved anybody. I don't know why I'm getting greedy. <laughs> you know, they're looking at it like, look, I don't really hate anyone. I just, I'm, I got my own problems. I'm trying to work and get by. So they, a lot of them, saying, um, you know, but, but that's like benefiting from a system. That's like saying I, I benefited from the rape of your ancestors, but I didn't personally do it. But you directly you inherited it. You inherited. It's a form of benign neglect, and you, it is, it is unfair to just <laughs> yell at your random white person for the sins of someone that they may not even be related to. But they benefit. But they reap all the benefits and they own those benefits. If 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 your ancestor was a slave owner and you have that property today, is that fair? You 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 pay for that property with my with mm-hmm. my my sword equity. They but the problem is that you're. But again, our problem is that we're attacking directly an individual who wasn't even alive then. When the culprit well, isn't an individual, the culprit is the system that we're we are then using to try and attack this person. If you use the legal system to go after a descendant of someone who may not even be directly connected or have even benefited from it, for you know that person's yeah. ancestor may have been poor as shit, you know, sharecropper too. Well, However, what was, this, what was the real villain here? I gave the real... car and I stole and I Stop. gave it to my son. Who was the actual villain here? The people who, uh, who benefited and participated in the slave trade and the institution that made it legal and kept it legal longer than any place else. That's the real villain here. And that's why you, the no, no, activists, no, 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 no. The activists who focus purely on going after an individual to get that's reparations or whatever something. is going after the wrong target. You have to go after that's the institutions, and that's the government. doesn't mean you get to keep it. Who's keeping right. it? That's no, the thing. That's it, that's it. No, the people who are most directly affected by a lot of the efforts and the propaganda of those people aren't the ones who benefit from it directly, so they're just as confused. They don't study this shit. They don't live this shit. So to them, they're just living their life. When it's convenient. You can't allow somebody to plead. It's not even about it just being convenient. Okay, we just covered before, we mentioned that there are people who will 
honestly, in the United States, is large enough you could live your entire life and not really run into people outside of your neighborhood or social group. So keeping if it you're black, there's no such thing. If you're black, you have to. <laughs> Except if you're black, because you don't own anything, you don't even own the super because you own there's, communities. Okay, Except but if you're black, then you have to. That is not the fault. <laughs> that is not the direct fault of that other poor person. And by focusing it and focusing our arguments and forming our arguments the way that we do, we make them the target of that instead of the well, institutions that should be the target of it. There is no way. Uh, you know how we, you know, you know why I say, you know why I say the left activism is all misdirected and going in the wrong direction. Anytime that you can look at pop culture and modern American culture and our opposition is focused solely on the fact that they are personally attacked. And are the larger lefty mouthpieces and outlets and media are are doing personal attacks on individuals instead of attacking institutions? That's how you know we're messed up, and these people are not serious about. No, well, yeah, so, okay, all right. So for the record, I believe in building institutions, not attacking nobody's institution. You got to build your own. Then you're right? never going to get. Then we're not going to get the answers that we're seeking because then who are you actually trying to get reparations and progress from? If not the institutions yeah, yeah. Okay. that so underpin the United States, we had this discussion. So, this isn't about uh, taking on. This isn't so, about so, making so, someone so, else's life less comfortable. So, I'm, I'll tell this this is about making our circumstances comparable. Give me, give me a second. Give me a second. So, let's say um, I'm a hotel owner. Right? You're my guest. You come in. You put a hundred dollars on the counter. And you say, give me the best room you have in the, in, in the place. Mm-hmm. I, I went over to my mechanic. I paid him $100 because he, I owed him $100. Yes. My mechanic runs over to The multiplying power of money. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. So, therefore, that is how you repair without asking anybody for anything. By simply supporting your own community, that is reparations because you had the multiplier effect. That one hundred dollar bill now has the impact of a million dollars. That's part of it. Look, that's part of it. That that's only part of it. it. That's only part of it. Because when you do that, because when you do that, if you're not really attacking the institutions that are going to propagandize the population, you end up with another Tulsa. That's why you can have an entire white population be so enraged at their failure and their and this other town's success that they will literally go and firebomb it from the air and burn it down. This was straight up the kind of we're talking about the type of tribal violence when you when people look at the Tulsa incident and they don't put it in the right context. Oh, it's just a race riot or something. No, this was the kind of tribal violence that we talk about deploying troops for in the Middle East. You literally are bombing someplace else. And it was the inciting incident. Uh, You should have built up what do you think? No, that is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is building Tulsa is part of it, but unless you go after the things that are going to propagandize and twist up that kind of white crowd that lives the next town over, that would ins- oh. make them want to burn your shit down and kill innocent men, women, and children, you're never going to get anywhere. Because as soon as we make something, as soon as we make something, even those poor white people who really don't even care or disinterested will be incentivized by those institutions to be angry at just the fact that those blacks over there are successful. 
it's the same me. exact game that has right. always been played. That's why the Chinese had to make Chinatown with freaking walls. Can you control how someone else thinks? Not directly, but you can <laughs> change the you can change the environment. Yes, you can change you can change the environment that they operate in. Yes, you can. You can control your own environment. Let, let's focus on that. Controlling their environment so they can think no, no, that's a that's a waste of effort. Control your so own environment. The, then what's the point of even getting people elected to those higher offices? Then you're not serving any... Per- you can't live on an island in the middle of another group and think you're going to actually survive. That's a fantasy. Yeah, the Jewish community does it all the time. <clears throat> actually, they, they do, they do no, it. No, they, they don't. Do they do it here at Cambridge Heights. They do it the here only re- Why are Jews able... Us. Us. Why are Jews able to do that? Why? Because they have their own infrastructure. No, because everybody else is afraid that they'll be called a freaking anti-Semitic racist or have their career ruined if they speak out. That's why. I'm not. I'm not so any man. So <laughs> that's and they have honestly the protection of cultural guilt. Nobody is going to cross them because of the fear of that. And plus, they know how to play the political game. They actually invest in having entire. They invest in having entire branches of government in their pocket as a whole, as a cultural whole. We covered this two weeks ago when we brought up the importance of lobbying, something that we, our group sorely misses. Anytime you could have the original well, black well, lobby, you just mentioned NAACP. When's the last time the NAACP really got in a politician's ass about doing something? Never, never, never. Not even, not even during the boys' days. <laughs> that's I, why I, he, I, and that's why he left. So I am, no, no, so get me. I'm, I, I am tired. I am tired of the focus being on other groups success and what we can do we need to get our own house in order and start operating like a single unit but you're not going to get that when you're pulling in different directions talking about pan-africanism and this group over here and that group over there we need a central american focus if we're going to solve american problems because guess what the people in the uk don't give a fuck the people who consider themselves yes, Jamaican, no they don't they, 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 they what the after Floyd died just like you did Awesome. What is that done? What the fuck is a march and a protest in England going to do for somebody in Atlanta? Because you said they don't, they, you act like they don't care. They do care. They do see it as a connection. You can care. Oh, great. Write me a, then you want to care? Then send me a care package or something else for somebody who's doing something here. Don't, well, this is bullshit. Again, with the, you in the, you're in the biggest country in the world and you ask for a handout for somebody else? Come so on. then I don't need you marching. If you're not going to give me either material support, a movement does not, a movement, a modern movement does not need. When Nelson Mandela called out to Rosa Parks, that's what I'm talking about. Just a simple acknowledgement, two-way acknowledgement. He was in jail and he is a tyrant Rosa Parks. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You might as well give me a video on TikTok today and tell me that's progress by those standards. That it, it's not working. It's, it's not going to work. We live in a different environment, and we're using the tools from literally almost 100 years ago, and we wonder why nothing changes. That's why. We're fighting the wrong fight. We're fighting a fight that our opponent set up. <clears throat> we're in a boxing match from last season, and we're fighting that fight. They've moved on. All right, the actual culprits behind the international slave trade, you don't see them going after Ford or fucking Goldman Sachs. Those are the pe- those are the big ballers who actually made bank off of selling our ancestors. 
Yeah. A couple of years ago when they were going after the major institutions and you had Ivy League institutions like Duke stepping up ahead of the game because they saw what was coming. They're like, oh, we're sorry. We're going to give some money for this. Georgetown did it too, right? I think Georgetown. So when I say going after institutions, that's what I'm talking about. The actual underpinnings of the people who profited from this. And that's where you get your justice. Not making somebody who works at Safeway feel bad because they're white. That doesn't do shit for anyone except for get somebody who's going to actually cause. We are currently making more enemies with the way that we pursue our battles rhetorically. I don't care about enemies. I'm not scared of nobody. It's not about being scared of somebody, but you can't. You cannot. It's not about being scared. Who the fuck is talking about being scared? I'm talking about actually getting results. Scared to make an enemy. I look. I'm looking for enemies. I look for enemies. I look for enemies. I smell them out. That doesn't do you any good. Because I look for progress and actually yeah, results. Yeah, I yeah. want tangible I, results. I, I, like turning some folks off, you turn folks on because you let them know that they're special, right? Oh, what, 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 is, what, is, what a girl likes to know that you like her more than anybody any t- else. Anytime yeah. you have a situation where at the beginning of the push against the type of right-wingers and conservative Trump elements... In the beginning of that, remember Charlotte with all the preppy guys with torches talking about you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. Anytime that went from fringe a handful of years ago to being a mainstream talking point all over social media, then you're doing your fight wrong. No, that's not our fight. That wasn't us down there. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Who do you think our opposition's foot soldiers are? I don't need... I don't need... I mean, my, 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 I don't my, my, need my, my, our problems. I don't need our opposition's numbers swollen just because somebody feels like they're not being represented when they are the main source of the group represented. You literally have international corporations run by predominantly rich, waspy white folks using their ability to create the media message and propagandize other poor white folks that you and I are the problem. That's, that's how you know you're doing the fight wrong. Anytime that kind of talking, anytime that type of talking point becomes mainstream, we're doing our fight wrong. You we, we, you want to build your own, right? Because focusing on destroying somebody else's won't build. I'm your not own. focused on destroying anyone else's. I'm saying that cool. those kinds of people are going to be the ones that we eventually end up having to deal with because we're ignoring the eroding effect and fighting the wrong people. No, the no, people yeah, that I'm we should be fighting. They're we trying to build our own institutions. We're trying to build your own hospitals, build your own schools. But you need to be able to protect them. You need to be able to protect them. We get some guns. You need more than just guns, Oz. We've been down that road before. <laughs> You're going to have lame motherfuckers in that town anyway who are like, well, I really don't like guns. So just That's having guns thing. isn't the answer. Just having a self-defense force isn't the answer. You need to have the kind of local motivation and cultural idea that, you know, them having success on the level that they do isn't why I don't have success. Maybe it's the fact that that bank is still fucking me, even though I am only a poor working white and not a middle class white. Are you going to spend your time trying to fix white folks again? again? No. Not, <laughs> oh. You keep doing that shit. No, I'm not talking. No, I'm not. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm speaking English. I'm pretty sure that's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying we need to focus our efforts so that we don't make it easier for the people who are already trying to propagandize against us. They're going to do that anyway. Part of the, yeah, they're going to do that anyway, but we are making it easier for them. <laughs> Listen, if you if you're going to do if you're going to worry about your actions about how it's going to be perceived by somebody else, they can always rewrite you as a bad guy. I had let's let, take this out. Um, None of this happens in a bubble. None of this happens in a bubble. In a meeting, trying to push Melinda Katz for DA. Yeah. Melinda Katz, he says, he tells a group of uh, sisters, you shouldn't vote for Mina Malik because she's a white woman. You hear me? Yeah, I heard you. He's pushing Melinda Katz for DA and says, be wary of Mina Malik, she's a white woman. (laughs) <laughs> because she's smart enough to know that the system protects her and that most of the people she's talking to won't ever actually see Nina Mullen. No, 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 no. But he's, he's pushing, he's telling you to vote for a white woman by telling you to not vote for another woman because she says she's a white woman and she's not white. Yeah, and, and where then, was she? And where was she? What group was she talking to? You see the logic that flies? Yeah. If you, if you create a reality for somebody, in other words, keep it on the mean today. One sister, she runs the... Bulldogs. It's a Pee Wee League football team. They play mm-hmm. in that park right across the street from that waste transfer station. Mm-hmm. They smell the garbage. But because the the Royals and Regal paid for her canister where she keeps her equipment and made her football field nice, she says, yes, they should go ahead. But she's, she's, she's advocating against her own self-interest mm-hmm. for a few dollars. That yeah. happens all the time. You can't yeah. control that kind of stuff. I mean, so how people think you can control that, but you have to that person, the person you already lost that fight like 30 years ago with that person. That's a cultural deficiency that someone would be in that situation and think to themselves, the money's worth it. That's a cultural deficiency right there. So that fight was already lost. And that's the fight I'm talking about waging on that level where you do change people's minds. That's the whole fucking point of propaganda. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. So we know it works. History's full of the example of it working. And we're doing it wrong. We don't even propagandize to our own in-group the right way. Why do you think I'm constantly bitching at you so that we go back down to the uh, media center? They're like 60 fucking years out of date. There's eight of them still above dirt. And they wonder why they can't get young people in the door. That's ineffective. That's inefficient. But they have their own building. They've got a long history. They've got a building full of information. They've got great speakers, but they'll never be heard by anybody who gives a fuck. You know, I'm I'm a what you call it. I, I like to be I like to be genuine. I'm not trying to fool nobody, and I believe people pick that up, right? I, I think people. I do believe if you have a dirty cup of water and someone puts a clean cup of water beside it, you'll instinctively drink the clean cup of water. Uh, I don't really deal with the propaganda. I don't really deal with the games of trying to fool or, you know, even though that people are trying to do that. You're right. You're right. Real propaganda does exist. But I just don't try to play them kind of games. You know what I mean? I don't really like playing politics in that kind of way. Okay? Uh, like um, one time I was talking to Hiram Montserrat and he was saying, cut a deal with the machine. Oh, I don't even like, I don't even like that kind of idea. I don't like that kind of talk going into try, trying to cut some. But that's that, the truth. You know? I don't that do is that. the truth. You do well, not enter combat with an idea of not getting hit. What, what the fuck? Well, I don't mind getting hit. Martin Luther King didn't mind getting hit, but he still got to be genuine. And uh, fuck that. Bad. Yeah, but you see, his problem was he was a, he didn't want to hit back. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not going into battle with Martin. I'm going into battle with Malcolm. 
because he'll fuck you up. Both, both, the, the point I make is they're both genuine, right? They're not trying to trying to play no kind of you know mind games. Or, you know they're I mean? both genuine, and they're both looking at it from their lived experience. And guess what? One of them was right, and one of them was wrong. They both ended up dead. So I'll I'll leave it to you to decide which one was more accurate in their assessment of the situation. They were both right. They were both right. We're not we're not going to pit history against history. We're supposed to learn from history and say they were both right and pull from the best of them. All right, that's Uh why we prefer the same cope. I'd rather carry forward in the spirit of bulletproof vest and get some fucking results. I'm tired of this having the same conversation where we're dancing around the edges of the fact that we are not organized enough with a central goal or at least even a loose tangential goal of getting anything done. And that is the core problem. If you keep, if you always, um, again, you know what? I won't even put it in my words. Let's go back to that Du Bois speech. Let's go back to what exactly he was facing and see if it isn't an exact parallel to the same shit we're doing with today. And he's telling you the same thing that I'm saying. We do. You you looking it up? I wish we could play it. We need to uh, get a sound there. So <laughs> I, don't audio I don't think there's any audio on it. No, I, I listened to it earlier. There's audio of it out there. So, yeah. listeners, if you're out there, after this, do a search. Can I be reading it, or is it in, in his voice? It's well. I doubt you're going to find his voice. You'd have to search a lot harder. But there's there's copies of it by people like reading it from the okay. text. Yeah, I, I made sure to read it uh, today um, while I was uh, you know putzing around a little bit. Um, In that text, he speaks specifically about the idea of doing internationalism and why it's not working. In his time. And you have the yeah, same no, he, problem. You have the same is, problem exasperated now. He left and went to Africa, especially brother. under the circumstances we have now, where globalism is really a defining feature of many governments. He left and went to Africa twenty years after this. This is 1934. 1950, he's living in Queens. 1960, he's in Africa. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he he, he believes he gave up on America. Is what he did. <laughs> he gave up on America is what happened and then what you give up on changing you give up on fighting in yeah, the he empire there, he, he you're not going to change it from the province and he um he started writing this I mean he's 94 years old so yeah. he's working on an African encyclopedia under the guise of uh, Kwame Nkrumah but mm-hmm. you know it, it is our time my brother We that was another five <laughs> episode of the appeal I mean, uh, fun as always. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure if we covered everything. <laughs> Most but, of them. Um, the exchange of ideas is what's important. You're right, you know, uh, black is not monolithic at all. You know, I, I don't presume to ever say that. You know, I walk around with this. Sometimes there's a sister. Her name is Wells Bonner. And uh, I like it. She's a designer. Happened to be from the UK. and But she likes to dabble in race. Like, like she's very cute in the... Uh, Intellectually curious, and um, she did. She made a sweatshirt, and it said "Creolite" or "Creolite," mm-hmm. which is an opposition to a philosophy in Francophone countries called negritude. Uh, so, negritude is kind of like Pan-Africanism, right? The idea of uh, celebrating our Africanness, and negritude is almost similar to what you're saying in that. Uh, I mean, not negritude. Creolite is similar. It's a, it's a literary um, space that says that we are something new. We're not just African, but there's, there's, you know, the 
indigenous and all of that. Um, well, that's cool. I mean, I, again, I'm not, I'm not here to say, I mean, I believe in Pan-Africanism because, you know, even if I have white in me, you know, the white in me is not the one that oppressed me. And, and if a white, it's a white. This is about not ass. defining yourself by those things anyway. Your culture is part of what makes you. So no matter how African you are, you're not African. You know, you are what you say you are. I am African. <laughs> you can't tell if you go talk, you yeah. go find me a Nigerian right now. And you ask yeah. them if you're African. Okay. We'll do. I can do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Culturally, you are a black American. But, you know, so you, your you, fight you is going to be them. waged differently. You cannot tell someone how to think. Or how to I'm not, identity I'm not telling people. someone how to think, but at the end of the day, you don't... <laughs> I can do you black. Dude, if I, I could be black as midnight... And think you're white. If, That's fine. If you're right. No, I'm saying to I'm saying right now, you could be black as coal. All right. If you don't speak an African language, you don't understand. You didn't you don't eat the food. Culture is something that is tangible. Culture is not food. <laughs> culture is not music. Food is a big part of culture. Culture is a, food is a large part of culture. Culture is a making process has to do with your historical experiences. Understanding that you're a black man in this world is universal. In Nigeria, as in as it was in Ghana, and your African culture. Movement. How can you say we look back to draw strength from something and then deny the importance of culture? Because I'm looking back at the culture. What are you talking about? I mean, I mean, I mean I'm looking past slavery. You did. It don't, it don't begin at slavery. We got to look past slavery. We were here for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Just because your culture was taken from you doesn't mean you can't go get it back. But then, what are you getting? You don't even know what you're looking for in a lot of cases. Yes, and do. now here you are. Yes, you do. I, I got introduced to a brother named Joe Mack. He was one of Al Sharpton's attorneys. He, he is, oh my God! He, yeah, he, he called himself King Joseph. I mean, he was a he was a newer physicist um, who didn't want to cut his locks to work at NASA, so he went back to law school. He and James Meredith went to law school together at Columbia. Mm-hmm. He's right now trying to uh, bring back accreditation to Knoxville College. Uh, if I sat you down with that brother, you, you mean the idea that no, we don't start a slavery. We actually go back to Egypt. So nobody is. I never believe that we started slavery. I'm saying that that is a defining moment for your average American black person. Okay, my culture, my cultural roots may go back further than that, but that does create a difference in how we relate to the United States, how we relate to other groups within the United States, and how we can move forward. That's a source of strength for me. I don't feel bad in any way saying that we are a new people upon this planet. That, that is a source I, of strength. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's cool. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, don't get me wrong. We just debate the idea. I would never tell you to change that. But I, I, I mean, okay, there's a, I, I think, <clears throat> let me check. <laughs> City throwing up the yellow flag. Right. Um, there's a, there's a, in, my, in Birmingham, Birmingham, Mississippi. There is a statue, a famous statue of a young boy, and uh, he's like, like putting his chest forward as this German shepherd is attacking him. Right? That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's a famous picture. It is a picture and it is a statue of the same incident. Right? That happened uh, during the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm. That guy's still alive. Right? And so, so Malcolm Gladwell interviewed him. And he says, um, 
He says, you know, it was hard for colored folks. He says, um, that picture made me look too African. I'm colored. <laughs> right? He don't necessarily be black. He said, he's colored. He said, colored, that's what I am. I'm colored. Yeah, you can't argue and tell him what he is and what he's not. That's his right. But that's what I'm saying. If, if I were to come and knock on that man's door and talk about some pan-Africanism, he's going to be like, boy, I'm not African. That's right. But if I knock on his door and I talk about being a black American and what we need to do to move forward as a black American, he would understand that because he's an American. He may not be the most popular type of American compared to white Americans and in their white mind if they think that way. But that's not that doesn't matter. If that's you, why if you've you had not, that's why you've you, had black vets in almost every conflict. That's you why you've had the, black Americans actually trying to make this shit oh, show run properly. And they get I mean, damn, that, that's all. If you go to Malcolm X and say, I'm a black American, he said, no, I'm not. America's never treated me like an American. You know, if you go to uh, uh, John, uh, John Henry Clark and say, oh, I'm an American, he said, no, I'm not. Actually, that's not true. They were treating him exactly like an American because if he were a citizen, <laughs> if he were a citizen of another country, they wouldn't be able to treat him that way because he would at least have embassy protection. Okay, I'll tell you what they would say. <laughs> you you can interpret all you want. I'll tell you what they would say. They would, they would no, not. that that's the yeah. blank truth. You could be that's from right. anywhere, but those white cops who may be racist and run up on you, they're going to treat you like what a black American. That's what they so, treat. So why, no, that's why I brought up Amadou Diallo. They didn't. He, he was not a black. But he didn't. Again, <laughs> Amadou Diallo could have been from Mars and enjoying his Martian culture, doing his Martian oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he came into contact with an American racist cop, then he ended up with forty-one rounds. And that's what that's the, that, that's the point. It's not, it doesn't matter what you think you are. Is that the treatment is going to be the same no matter where you are? And that's why you have, you to, change. have to change. And that's why you have to lend more power and increase the strength of the American black person. I don't care if you want to call it African American. Most of us honestly just refer to ourselves as black. Agreed. 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 You know? agreed. So even in that, you had this major push over the last like 40 fucking 50 years to try and reclaim the word, you know, nigger. But the word black has had negative connotation for as long as it's been the opposite of that. We, we, white. Reclaimed, we, we reclaimed that power as well, I believe. I think we reclaimed the power of black white as well. Exactly. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. That America was able to manipulate race in the minds of its citizens by making it a simple dichotomy. It, it, wasn't, just versus America. White. it wasn't just America. It was the entire European yes. country. Yeah, but I'm not it trying to fix them. They're their own. <laughs> I'm not trying to fix nobody but black folks. I don't give a damn about none of them. They could all burn. Okay, but <laughs> I have to be able to address the environment if I'm going to do that. I have to look accurately at the problem that's facing me. And that they are part of that equation because they're here. And this is this is this game space that I'm working in. So I can't concern myself with the way that game space is formulated and set up in the UK or whatever. I got to deal with this. That's why I don't. That's why the the idea of using globalism to fight globalism, and it's at its oldest trade, the human trade. That shit don't make sense to me. It may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to others. Uh, but that's yeah. why that shit don't work. <laughs> what, 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 You're talking what, what, about what, using what, Amazon Prime what, to fight the shipping of Amazon. No. 
what 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 you can't what do that strategy do you have working i didn't say my right. shit was working yet either but damn <laughs> i least i'm trying something different no you can't yeah, keep uh, doing the same maybe, thing for 90 years maybe, and not maybe. see results and be like i wonder what the problem is you're doing when the you same shit someone, for 90 years when you see someone pushing the rock up a hill you don't sit back on the sidelines and critique how they pushing the rock up the hill you get up and you start helping them push that rock up the hill only then can you exchange ideas you know what i mean you can't critique nothing unless you're a part of it you that's great but i want to stop pushing and work on a lever all right see so what i'm saying so technically, work on your level. That's it. You don't need the permission to do it. You did. Work on your level. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's tough. So the idea we have to be inclusive of different ideas. It's, we got to be solid in what we believe, but we have to be inclusive of the ideas at the same time. You know, and then and that's the tightrope. You know what I mean? I think that's why it's interesting, you know. And I, while I, we're I, sitting I, there doing that, and while we're sitting there doing that, you got these no-show Negroes, like our friends that we mentioned before, who keep fucking communities over, over our waste transfer station. This is why I don't, this is why, if my problem is right in front of my face, in a cheap suit, with a party backing you, I'm not worried about, well, let me, let what's me going on with a pan-African movement? I need to be worried about what's going on in my neighborhood. That's the problem. Clear. You can do both. Let me be clear. Can you, you do can both do efficiently? Can yes. you do both effectively? Yes. How? Yes. Kwame Nkrumah did it great. Kwame Nkrumah lived in Harlem. He went to Lincoln University, and then he went back and became the first president of Ghana. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then he, then he invited W.B. Du Bois. To, to Ghana, he invited Malcolm X to Ghana. He gave Kwame, he gave Sophie Carmichael his name. Kwame. He came from Harlem, but he helped Ghana. What did he do for the Negroes in Harlem? I just told you, he is the one who invited Malcolm X to Ghana. That's the reason why you have the Organization for African American Unity because Malcolm X modeled that after Kwame Nkrumah's Organization for African oh. Unity. That's why he's the one who helped. He's the one who got um, uh, the boys. Into Africa, right? The, the boys want got tired of America. Brother said, "Come on over, come home." <laughs> so he he got him home. Kwame Nkrumah did quite a, did his part. Kwame Nkrumah did his part as a Pan Africanist. He saw a connection between all Africans at home and abroad. That's all. But yeah, we we, we are short on time, my brother. We went way over. We apologize, Sister <laughs> Cindy. Um, <laughs> you have any closing thoughts for the people, brother hey. Rob? R-O-B-B. Meet a community. Find a community. Whatever community you're in. Whatever y'all need, work on that. And we'll meet in the, somewhere in the middle. Because I honestly, I, I can't be worried about what's going on thousands of miles away and take your eye off the ball of what's right in front of you. Hold up. I, 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 I have to keep it going. But you were in the Navy. Fight overseas. <laughs> I'm leaving alone. <laughs> I'm leaving I'm leaving alone. You were in the Navy. You were fighting over there. Yeah. You my brother. You you my brother. You my brother for real. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, brothers and sisters, Africans and Africanettes. This has been another episode of Walker's Appeal. Hope you enjoyed the ride as we, you know, function in the spirit of Sankofa. We look back in order to look forward. Um, I'm going I'm to leave you with a quote <laughs> from the boys. Uh, the hot, dark blood of that forefather born king of men is beating at my heart. And I know that I'm either a genius or a fool.
Till next time, Africans, Africanettes, and those of you on African adjacent, it's been On the Wake Up Radio, The Appeal. Peace. Karama here with a quick infomercial and I have a question for you. Are you tired of social media outlets that block real content? I mean, are you tired of your favorite internet truth teller getting blocked or put in fed book jail? Tired of making a comment and the algorithm quickly deems your comment to be offensive and takes it down? I mean, are you tired of making a post and a fact check pops up, making it look like your info isn't accurate and then it turns out that the fact check is actually the lie. Are you tired of seeing white people get by with racist commentary or post and they never get blocked, but unapologetically black truth tellers are always having their videos taken down? Tired of having to wait a month or seven days or 14 days for your favorite social media truth teller to get their page back up because white owned social media outlet owners take their content down whenever they feel like it. Tired of black people getting on white-owned social media outlets and finding out that the outlet is making billions of dollars, but you don't get one red cent of that money? Well, if you're really tired, then you should do as I did and make the switch. Yeah, come on over to otwtube.com where your content and comments are actually accepted. Also, get the Urema Karam app where you can stay up to date on real truth that lamestream media intentionally hides from you. Come on over to sites that accept you being unapologetically black. I mean, come on over to sites that love you being free to express yourself. This is why I took my aboriginal indigenous melanated ass on over to OTWTube, because I recognize the importance of freedom of speech. I recognize that I would be doing my ancestors a tremendous disservice if I stayed a slave on social media outlets that want to dictate what I say and when I can actually say it. If you're tired like I am, then make the switch now to otwtube.com and get the Urema Karama app. Tap into the truth, because that's what you deserve. I am Urema Karama, and I approve this message. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diang. Cindy Ashby Production. On the wake up. <laughs>